welcome back, fourth and long fans. It's your footy correspondent, Coach Donnie Hess here, back with another off-season supporter series chat. And ladies and gentlemen, coming to me from from Adelaide, from Adelaide, South Australia, it is Jamie. Jamie, thank you for joining me today. Donnie, thank you. Thank you for having me. Awesome, awesome. So before we get into the footy talk, I like finding out just a little bit about the person that I'm talking with. So really quickly, a real quick bio of who you are outside of the game of footy. Yeah, I'm 31 years old, Adelaide born and bred, um, living in the inner western suburbs of Adelaide. Uh, love it. Um, I have a beautiful partner and a beautiful 15-month-old daughter. So um, sport fan, cricket and footy, typical Australian, um, but everything in between as well. Regularly like to keep my finger on the pulse of various sports around not only Australia, but around the world, really. Fantastic, fantastic. I cannot wait for this. This is a footy podcast, and you being in footy mad essay, I got to ask, what is your favorite thing about the sport of footy? Um, I think you would get it a lot, but it, I think it is the tribal nature of it all. Uh, you know, it, once footy season rolls around, it kind of just takes over and um, it becomes, uh, you know, religion and, and things like that. That always get associated with sports and sports fanatics. Um, but it's a way to connect as well with a variety of people, something to kind of continue on a journey with or be part of a journey with. And then as well as that, it's family, um, community. Uh, it's a great time for me and my kind of my dad and my brothers to all get together and um, kind of enjoy something together. And not like we don't enjoy other things together, but again, it's that tribal kind of like us against them nature of it. Uh, and like I said, I'm a cricket fan, so it, it's just polar opposites in the way that you digest those individual sports. Like in summer, it's very laid back. Uh, it's less vitriolic, um, less like the blood pressure tends to stay down. You can just kind of enjoy it, watch it um, for what it is. But then football season, it's go, 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 go. It's high tempo. It's high pressure. Um, it's infectious really. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. I 100% agree. The tribalism is one of the things that I find fascinating about it. Cause as we were talking off Mike is that you just don't get it here because there's so many sportings. I mean, you don't, you don't just, you have football, you have basketball, you have baseball, you have hockey, you have lacrosse, you have so many other sports. So really in Australia, if you think about it, yes, you've got basketball, you've got some others, but really it is cricket and it is footy or it is NRL if you're in Queensland or um, New course, South Wales. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of one of those where you do have that kind of one thing that really bids, one thing that really kind of takes up all your energy. So it's fascinating to hear. All right. I need you to go back into your, in back to your memories here. Can you remember your earliest footy memory? Uh, yeah, I can. Um, it, it is fairly vague now. It would be from the early 2000s. But I remember my dad, he's always generally worked in sales for most of my life. And with that, um, you tend to work for companies that have corporate boxes at, at football um, stadiums. So I remember one weekend he was lucky enough to um, be able to enjoy a corporate box through his work at the time. Um, and as a result, uh, he got to bring along his family and um, myself and my brother 
at the time. And I even believe my stepmom, who is not a fan of football, but when there's free food and beverages, you know, out there, uh, why not? Right. So uh, I believe it was a game against Melbourne, obviously a Port Adelaide game uh, against Melbourne. Um, and I remember that because Melbourne used to have a forward named David Neitz and my dad actually really loved him. He, he appreciated him for the talented footballer that he was. And I remember him just whenever David Neitz got the ball, he's like, oh, of course, and he's going to kick it. And um, generally he did. So uh, I also remember I, at the time I, I, uh, I had a jacket and it was navy blue and red and, um, and it was probably one of my only jackets at the time. And obviously being winter, um, I had to I had to pop a jacket on, of course, to keep warm. Um, and I, I remember thinking to myself, like, haha, this is pretty funny. I probably look like a Melbourne supporter, but in reality, I'm just a kid. I'm a port supporter. And yeah, I'm here with my dad enjoying free soft drink and pies and pasties. Fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely love it. All right. You kind of teased it a little bit. Anybody that's watching the YouTube video will tell by the hat, what's your club? So really quickly, Port Adelaide power supporter. How is it that you came to become a a power supporter besides maybe the fact you're in SA? Uh, It's definitely uh, just a family based, like hereditary thing. Um, You know, I have a great relationship with my, my dad, um, he was a Port Adelaide Magpies supporter from way back um, and just naturally as Port gained their license with the AFL, he moved to the power um, to support the power in the AFL. And yeah, I just kind of went along off the back of that and the passion rubbed off on me um, for sure. I think passion is another word that I could have used before uh, when you asked me about my why I love football. Um, yeah. Uh, the passion that my dad tends to show a bit too much uh, on game day. Yeah. It definitely rubs off. And, um, and then as you grow up, you kind of do your own research, you learn your own own way about the club that you support. And the more you learn about Port Adelaide, especially once you already are a Port Adelaide supporter, um, the more you kind of fall in love. Yeah. 100% agree. And so much history when it comes to Port Adelaide, both with the Magpies and then eventually with the AFL and the power. So I asked this as, as a, as a family club, and, and I loved hearing this, was there ever any doubt that you were going to be a power supporter for your dad? And then is there anybody else in the family that supports another club? And if so, how's the banter? Um, Look, no one in my direct family supports anyone else. So um like I said, I have a brother who's two years younger than me, um, wh- who I grew up with. And then my dad and my stepmom had uh, another son um, about uh, 14 years ago. So he, he's a power supporter as well. And then my mum and my stepdad on the other side, they're power supporters too, a little bit more subdued in their um, fandom, I guess you'd say, in their supporting. Um, but then, yeah, the further out you go in my family, you get yeah Adelaide Crow supporters and various other ones, North Melbourne um, kangaroos supporters. Uh, but the people who I would say are in my direct family who do su- support a football team or follow football, they're generally Port Adelaide supporters, which tends to make it a bit more comfortable come, you know, <laughs> Christmas time or, or family gatherings. Um, 
yeah, there's not so much. I think my uncle is a Crow supporter. He's a very um, serious Crow supporter, but I think he kind of knows the lay of the land when it comes to family gatherings and things like that. He's at a hiding to nothing if he tends to bring up a controversial view. So we generally just try and keep it PG and um, mm. just talk about football broadly and generally, and generally try to rag on Victoria mostly. That's If anything, most of the time, Adelaide and Port Adelaide supporters can agree on that. So uh, it's always fun. It's been very fascinating. People that have listened to the podcast, I've been I've been trying to find Sandful, VFL, and Waffle supporters. And when I've chatted yeah. with the Sandful supporters, it is it's fascinating to hear that discussion of the kind of almost vitriol or, or or at least distaste for Victorians. It's kind of fascinating to hear that kind of discussion a little bit. So it, it was interesting to hear you say that the, the mutual respect between the two is a dislike for Victoria. Absolutely love it. All right. So <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll stay with this. Can you remember the first power or magpies item that you were ever given or bought? I actually didn't and still don't actually own that much merchandise. Mm. And I think it wasn't until... Uh, we started going to games regularly that I, I got a scarf for Christmas, I think, or my birthday. My birthday is fairly close to Christmas. It's the start of December. So I think I got a scarf um, maybe 2006, 2005, maybe. Um, and I think that was the first, first thing that I can actually remember. Uh, I may have got something when I was younger, like a toy or, or something like that, or a book, but um, yeah, the first piece of merchandise that I can actually like remember receiving and and using and wearing uh, frequently, it's yeah, it's that scarf uh, which I still have. I don't tend to wear it. I've gained another couple of scarves along the way, but mm-hmm. you know, for if someone wants to join me at the football who doesn't regularly go, I've got it there for them. <laughs> Fantastic! I always got to keep. Always got to keep those keepsakes for sir. All right. So my um, this next one, I absolutely love because as I've said to many people, fandom is something that it's never the same with every every single person. People fan differently. People support differently. So it's always interesting to hear uh, kind of everybody's side to it. So for me, just really quickly, can you describe your fandom for Port Adelaide? Are you somebody that it is a live and die type of thing? That while the footy is on everything is Port Adelaide or can you kind of step away from it for a bit? Um, it, it has ebbed and flowed um, in my life, you know, being, I guess uh, my partner, she isn't really into sport or, or football or anything like that. So that tends to help switch off. Um, I th- I feel if she was a bit more passionate uh, or interested in sport, it could tend to roll on, the fandom mm-hmm. and kind of um, just bounce off each other, good or bad. Um, but the fact that she isn't really interested in it, it allows me to kind of switch off. Uh, whereas uh, previously when I was single, um, you've got obviously got a lot more time. You can kind of just go here, there and everywhere with it. Um, so it has changed. I would say it's game day, especially it's fever pitch um especially when Porter playing finals it's the nerves it's the you know the high the heart palpitations I guess you could say um but then I I kind of it's probably through a journey of self-awareness and things like that too 
um, because if you can't control it, you, you can just get into a spiral if you are passionate uh, with football uh, in your emotions. Uh, but what's done is done, really. Uh, um, at the end of a game, you know, you, you're either high on it. It's the agony and the ecstasy of it all, right? You're mm-hmm. either up here or down there um, with your emotions for that period after the game. Um, but once I get home, put the keys in the door and, and whatnot, I tend to um, just try and take it for what it is and, and look ahead. Um, I, I try not to dwell on things as much as I perhaps used to. No, it makes sense. I, I'm kind of one of those. I told my wife a few times, I, I said, give me 10 seconds after the game is over to just, especially if they've, if they've lost, just give me that 10 seconds to just kind of let it kind of, kind of just let that frustration just, eh, and then I'm good. Like that's, yeah. I, you know, so I know exactly how you feel there. It's like, you got to be able to let it go. Cause if you let it fester, it just, it really affects, it really affects you. So 100% yeah. agree. I remember when I was a teenager and uh, my dad is like I've mentioned, he's super passionate and a lot of emotion can be hitched onto how your football team has performed over the weekend. And because mm-hmm. it is a weekend by weekend sport, your working week off the back of it can, that well, mm-hmm. it can be affected or, or when I was in school, even um, when I was a teenager and in my late teens, early twenties, my stepmom used to hate it. If Port lost, she would check the score just to see what kind of mood we would be. And when we get home, um, because then, yeah, it, you know, we'd either be filthy and be filthy for a couple of days and just, yeah, be dwelling on it um, or alternatively be really happy and mm-hmm. um, jovial when we get home. So, yeah, uh, it tended to last longer, the pain or the, you know, the happiness, but uh, now it's mm-hmm. a bit more fluid. Yeah, 100% agree with you on that one. Alrighty, so we'll, we'll, we'll jump to it. I, lo- I love this one. Can you remember the first port game that you ever attended live? Yeah, so I, I mentioned the one um, that I went to with the corporate box. Um, so I'll, I'll move that one to the side. Um, I, I remember during that period, I think I think there was another corporate box visit or whatever. Mm-hmm. not really attending for my own sake, I guess you could say. So I guess the first times that I went to the football uh, would have, yeah, would have been with my dad. And I believe it was the 2007 season because um, we'd started the year quite well. We weren't members at that stage. Um, and I was about 14 or 15 um, at the time. Uh, and uh, yeah, Port were obviously playing really well that year. So then we started going to a few games and I'm just trying to remember. I remember there was a game against Carlton uh, in 2007 and I believe it ended up being the game that Travis Boat got nominated for a rising star um, for that year. Um, It was a good game. I think we might've been behind or we might've been ahead actually and Carlton came back uh, and then we ended up winning. Uh, And like I mentioned, Travis Boat played a really great game as a young player and ended up getting a rising star nomination for it. Uh, that's one that sticks out in my mind in that year. We went to quite a few that year. I can't remember one before that or after that. It kind of is testing my memory a little bit, but um, that's probably the one that sticks out as far back as I can kind of think of. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And, and, and that's one of those, I kind of agree. Sometimes those corporate box ones that you're so worried about, Hey, I get free stuff and you're not always watching the game. So the, to be able to yeah. find that one that where you actually got to watch it and, and for, for a team to play as well as it is, that's really awesome. So already we, we jumped. I love this question. It's always fun for me is that this isn't easy. This is like picking your favorite child for some people. Do you have a favorite port player of the past? And do you have a favorite current player on the port list? Yeah, well, I was kind of expecting it because I have I have listened to a few episodes of these fan episodes that you've been making, and um, I have a funny one because he's only just retired, but Robbie Gray would technically count as a past player now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, it I seems think... a little unfair. But, no, it's, um, it's hey, it's per- perfectly fair. Technically, he's of the past. So you got yeah, me there. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Um, there's just a guy like again uh, i started watching uh, attending football um seriously in 2007 and along with travis boat he was another one that debuted that year and um just the way that he was able to turn games uh, himself and impact games himself uh, some of the freakish things that he managed to do as a, as a smaller player i guess you could say uh was phenomenal um, and i've seen it plenty of times live and on TV, uh, just some of the magical things that he was able to do. Uh, and uh, you could tell he had a high football IQ, they like to call it, um, because he would do things that everyone else on the field had no idea that he was going to do. He was just always always seemed a couple of steps ahead. Um, and it was amazing to watch when he was, when he was on. Um, so past player, um, you asked current player, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I really have a soft spot for Charlie Dixon. Uh, I I love the way he attacks the game of football. And I think for a lot of people, you either love him or you hate him. Um, More so the broader football fan landscape. Um, You either love him or you hate him. But as a Port supporter, you can kind of appreciate what it it is that he brings to the game. And, And I think he's fairly unique in the way that he's used and the way that he does go about football. Like he's not your, um, oh, like Josh Kennedy for West coast Eagles of the past who's just recently retired. He was very lead up, get the ball and you kind of bank on him generally kicking the goal and he's fairly accurate and whatnot. But Charlie, it's, it's a bit of a different role. He plays up the field a lot. He draws, uh, key defenders out to provide room for other forwards and smaller forwards, which goes unnoticed because you don't really get a stat for that. But then when he is in the uh, forward 50, he's crashing packs, he's, he's presence, he's just big and bustling and he can take a great mark. And for a, a lot of the knocks that he gets on his uh, kicking ability, he's actually been fairly accurate in the games that he's played over the last three years last year being half a year pretty much because he missed a lot of it. Um, So if there was ever a knock on him early days, it was his kicking accuracy, but along with the big, big body crashing packs, he's actually improved a lot on his kicking game over the last three years. uh, If you look at the stats. So yeah, I I love him. And he's kind of a big, when you, when you get to know him off the field or through social media and things like that, He's just a he's just a normal guy uh, from North Queensland who kind of enjoys the quiet life of Adelaide. Uh, he's a big teddy bear, I guess you could say. Yeah, he's, he's he's one of those. I I absolutely love his game. 
I agree with you. I, I think if he can get his body right, he could be an absolute terror for most teams because it's hard because if you put if you put a nimble defender, he outbodies you. If you put a big defender on him, he's athletic enough. He can he can he can do things that that, that big defender can't stop him at. His marking ability is insane. His ability to mark it one handed sometimes is frightening. <laughs> yeah. And have and you he, seen him hold a football? It, it looks tiny in his mm-hmm. hand. He palm he palm I can't tell you how many times I've seen him one handed and he just makes it look so effortless. And it's one of those, it's impressive because it, it does give him that ability that if, if if he is being held he's got that big mitt to be able to put there and snatch it and he, he's unselfish too the one thing is he he's not yeah, he's not just definitely. gonna go back and always kick it he, he's gonna look for teammates which i i find fascinating so I, I really hope he gets his body right because he he can be one hell of a thing that and the bastard is intimidating as hell <laughs> yeah yeah for sure. for sure just having him it's presence he draws a lot of people to him which is a distraction for mm um opposition teams uh, just him being there you, you you know opposition you know how how do we go about it and even if they have a plan sometimes in games if he's on you can see teams go away from their plan to just try and negate his presence so mm-hmm. i could go on really um but uh <laughs> we're limited for time no, it's, it's not a it's... charlie dixon podcast <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I I, I appreciate it. He he's he's very he's very much one of those guys. I, I I adore when it comes to his game. Like I said, he just needs to get his body right. So, yeah, all right, definitely. I all love... reports, he's going well in that regard preseason. I agree. I, agree. I hope so. Him and Orazio Fantasia both. I hope they get their bodies right. Get their bodies right because both great players that I think need to be on yep. the park. So, definitely. all right. I love seeing the sparkle in people's eyes when I ask this question. Most memorable moment as a Port Adelaide supporter. Uh, so, I mean, there, there's a lot, right? Mm-hmm. If you follow football enough, yeah, and go to, go to enough games to experience the, the ecstasy of it all. There is a lot, um, finals, winning finals are always great, always great. But, um, I think the games that you're not expected to win and then, and then win, um, stand out and again there's a few probably going back a while uh, i need to quickly kind of think of one i always there is always one i think of and it's it it's probably because it the season that we had was so terrible i think it was in 2012 terrible year um i think we won four games all up that year but there was a game against north melbourne at amy stadium where uh, we were about five or six goals down in the last quarter. And for whatever reason, North Melbourne just stopped. We built a, um, a head of steam and yeah, bang, 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 bang. Off the back of another player, Jay Schultz, who was a favorite of the past. Uh, yeah, we just chipped away. And in the end, we found ourselves one goal down with not much time. And, and there was an ex-player named Paul Stewart. He found the ball on the half forward flank. Um, sold a little bit of candy and ran in and kicked a goal. And I remember at the time my voice was so hoarse from just shouting and yelling. And I ended up, I think I had a tear in my eye um, just because it was such a bad season. The club was at such a poor, in a poor place across the board, club, team, everything, coach in the end, 
ended up getting sacked that year. Um, but that that when you're having a bad year, that that piece of gold that you can just kind of like, I finally came to a game and we've won. Um, it stands out. Uh, and, and like I mentioned, I think because it stands out in comparison to the rest of the year, I, I always kind of go back to that one as, as one of my favorites. Uh, like I said, there, there's, there's been so much, so much more satisfying times or periods of time where the team's been doing well and we've had great wins or whatnot. Uh, and like I said, finals wins are always great, but um, uh, that one kind of stands out. It's a bit of a different one. Um a different one for me, but last gasp wins as well. They always tend to stick out when you, when you're right, right at the line and then you get ahead and you keep it. Yeah. 100% agree with you. One, one that I find fascinating and I meant to ask this when I, when I talked to my crow supporter earlier in the year, but the showdown, I mean, do you have a favorite showdown moment? Because there's one that pops into my head. I'm interested to see if if it's if it's the same one because a late winner is one that you would think would be something you could never forget. So yeah. do you have a favorite showdown moment? Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of Port supporters really enjoyed the last showdown that was at Amy Stadium. I think it was showdown 35 uh, where Chad Wingard kicked five goals for the game and he kicked a late winner. That's got to be up there. That that's a, that's a great win. Um, I think. And then the other favorite I have is the first one at, at Adelaide Oval uh, because it was new ground, new territory, and Port were at a a great upward trajectory, but it was still fairly on in that season. Um, but we went there, Adelaide Oval, and we just tore them apart. I think we won by around 50 points. So it was a very satisfying win. Um, but I guess if you were to put the two against each other, it would probably be the the one before that, the last one at Amy Stadium where uh, Adelaide Crows had the game in their pocket. Um, there was no way that we probably should have won that game. And had it been uh, not for a, a late... I guess, missed kick by, uh, I think his name is Lewis Johnston for the Adelaide Crows, had Patrick Dangerfield all on his own, top of the goal square-ish. And uh, had he kicked it to him, Dangerfield almost definitely would have kicked the goal and that would have put put the game away. It would have sealed it, done. But he didn't and ended up getting rebounded. We kicked the goal and that created the the run-on that we had to win that game. So I, I guess you, i, I got to say that one yeah definitely the last showdown at, at, at amy stadium awesome awesome so we go we go from good unfortunately to bads because my next question unfortunately is last season well we got it we got i know most people at port adelaide don't want to talk about it it's not exactly the most memorable season especially with an oh and five start and you kind of battled back but just fell a little short so thoughts on last year because i know I, I'll raise my hand. I had Port as one of my teams in the top four, having a chance to be in the fly contendership, and I don't think anybody saw the 0-5 start coming. No, no. And I think what made it even more frustrating was there was the game, the, the games like the showdown and round one against Brisbane where 
had it been not for a, a you know a last gasp kick after the siren or not for four to five injuries in the Brisbane game mm-hmm. a lot of people would agree that we probably would have got over the line and then it kind of turns the start into a a two and three or a three and two um and I, I guess that summed up the season we we're always just a couple of goals off the pace and um it, it's definitely frustrating because as, as port supporters, you know what you're capable of, especially off the back of two preliminary finals. And the team wasn't that different, albeit for a lot of annoying injuries along the way. So you're chopping and changing a lot. Um, and in any, in any sport, in any level, you need consistency, um, especially with your playing group. And when that isn't there, it's very hard, which made 2021 significant uh if you weren't aware that we also had a lot of injuries and in-season surgeries in that season as well and then to get to the preliminary final and i guess you hear it all the time with football teams that go deep in finals for a two or three year period they're just gassed afterwards and then they have a regression and then when you keep that in mind and then look at clubs like Geelong and Sydney, like your team who consistently do play in finals, you just respect them even more because they kind of go against that trend of clubs who have a, have a high time. And then they've played finals for that long. They've had shorter preseasons have that regression. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, yeah. Frustrating would typify last season for sure. But I'm a fairly balanced viewer of football, uh, especially post-match and post-season. It is what it is. Yeah, we were a couple of goals off the pace. I don't think the team's gone backwards in terms of its playing group uh, from last season to this season. So I would definitely expect a bounce back. Um, and and you, you, the teams that finish in that ninth to 11th kind of position, the story of their year generally is that they lose a lot of close games. And that's just, that's where we found ourselves last year. For whatever reason, we couldn't seal the deal or we found ourselves so far back early that we had to waste a lot of energy trying to bridge the gap in, in, the, in the second, third and fourth quarters. And yeah, a lot of the time fell short. Uh, which is annoying. Yeah, I can 100% understand. I remember in my pod in my podcast we were getting to round 10 and I'm like if they can find that one little thing they've still got a shot because you'd rather have the 0 and 5 start so you get that five losses done early. And it, they would they would get some momentum and then they'd lose a game that they probably shouldn't have and then they'd get a little more momentum and then they'd lose and it's like they, they yeah. just they could never get that cohesion of 2 3 4 5 games in a row to yeah. kind of balance yeah, out definitely. the start and then like i said you, you said injuries dixon got hurt fantasia basically did not play at all last year you had injuries with rosie you had injuries with all, yeah. so many players got hurt at that i felt horrible for port because they just They'd get somebody back, somebody would go down hurt. They'd get two guys back, somebody would go. So they were just kind of snake bitten all year. It was just nothing could ever go your way. So I I agree with you. I think there's a good chance of seeing a bounce back this year. So we'll we'll jump to the off season. And and I'm fascinated to hear this. The SA boy, Jason Horn Francis, is now a Port Adelaide player. Hopefully, Orazio Fantasia is healthy. And I'm hearing good things about his training load. So 
you get a, a, a gun midfielder. Many people say could be a generational player in Horn Francis, hopefully almost a new player in Orazio Fantasia back. Basically. Yeah. Your, your off season has looked really, really solid. Do you keep an eye on their off season normally? And then what are your thoughts on that? Because I think Port's actually done really well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I do I do keep an eye on the off season. Um it is a good time to switch off and, and things simmer down uh in that regard. But uh yeah, I I I watch with keen interest and the whole Jason Horn Francis thing was definitely a surprise when it came about. You know, everyone's watching the number one draft pick in his first year. So and being from SA you kind of keep a, an extra eye on him with interest. And um, we know as Port supporters that he actually trained uh, with our, a little bit with our, our academy um, beforehand uh, during the season um, in 2021. So uh, again, having connections with our club through his stepfather as well, you're just kind of looking. And I think Port Adelaide has built a culture where uh, if you're anyway connected to port, yeah, sure, you might go off and and spread your wings elsewhere. But we always kind of have the feeling that we're always a chance to get people back. Um, you know, Brad Ebert is a great example of that. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, so did I expect it to come that quickly? No, not at all. Um, did I expect it to be a chance to happen at some stage? Yeah, for sure. Um from what I understand, there was a lot of injury problems that didn't really get spoken about a lot. I know that there's a lot of media and again, Victorian media who like to highlight an, an apparent attitude problem. But when you're in SA and you know, you've got the SANFL here playing, he was playing senior football and from all reports, there was no attitude problem in that. And that was senior football at a pretty high level from what most people regard this, the second best football competition in the country behind the AFL, which is the professional league. Um, so it's interesting how narratives change. And I actually hosted someone at a New Year's party who uh, works in sports medicine and um, uh, obviously confidentiality considered with anything, anything medical, but basically had the conversation along the lines of that his knee was absolutely shot mm. and the whole ice bath thing comes up. And uh, the interesting thing about it was this guy who I hosted mentioned that essentially if he was to get in an ice bath, his knee, uh, his uh, blood vessels would have constricted so much that it would have caused him agonizing pain from the knee down, or I guess you could say the quad down Um and it just adds a little bit of backstory because obviously you hear in the media, Jason Hall Francis didn't have a ice bath and, you know, it became this whole thing and, and they attach that to the narrative. But again, there's always, there's always more to the story. And we as football enthusiasts, we only know surface level information. There's a whole, there's a whole world of, football professionalism and storyline that that goes on behind closed doors that we will never know because if you were to know that <laughs> your club's not doing very well keeping keeping professional matters to themselves so mm. yeah um with all that being said he had surgery after we drafted him uh, after we traded for him sorry and 
from all reports that went great. He's back running again. And yeah, I guess at, at, at the, it's his second year, right? So it, I don't expect him to be winning any Brownlow medals this year, but um, I am intrigued to see how he fits into the system because you, you've mentioned Connor Rosie already and, and there's other players like Zach Butters, Willem Drew, who doesn't get a lot of attention. Um, they're all young. Um, and then you've got Travis Spokes. So where, where he will fit in the rotation is what I'm most interested about. I don't really have any doubts of his ability. Um, and I'm more than willing to give him time. You know, he's, <laughs> no, I don't think he's even 20 years old yet. So uh, happy to have him for sure. Uh, but um, I'm just more in- interested and intrigued to see how he progresses from here in, a, in our club. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I I know if 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 he turns into what many of the scouts said he would, this this could look like this could look like the the move of the century for Port Adelaide for sure. So, before we go to my next question, I'm going to ask this because as as we kind of discussed off Mike before we started the podcast, is I'm an avid listener to the Rush Hour in South Australia, and I remember the day that somebody put a sticker outside of Alberton to fire Hinkley. So I got to ask as a Port Adelaide (laughs) supporter, this is a topic that I I was, I was rather intrigued how quickly fire Hinkley started to kind of gain some momentum amongst the fan base. And I know I've heard some rumors that sometimes Hinkley has not always been the most likable when it comes to the coach, when it comes to at least the fan base. So I ask you as a Port Adelaide supporter, your thoughts on Hinkley, is he the right guy or is this just, I mean, are they finally going to see that he's not the guy that could take Port any deeper and they will move on after this season? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely an interesting topic and I'm not convinced that the person who put the sack Hinkley sign on Port Road was even a Port Adelaide supporter. <laughs> I tend to think that it was a, a rival supporter just trying to stir the pot. Um, mm-hmm. But hey, who knows? Uh, the interesting thing is I think it's had a couple of waves, the whole Sack Hinkley notion. Um, obviously, when he started uh, as coach for Port Adelaide, we had a, a great two-year period and everyone expected uh, great things. And then in the 15 to 17 seasons um uh well below expectations and and that was the first kind of addition of the sack hinkley Mm -hmm. kind of um uh moniker i guess you could say and uh 18 19 again things didn't happen and it was fever pitch but um uh, he was contracted at the time 2020 came around and we were the minor premier and sat top all year so preliminary final, preliminary final, it simmered down again. However, um, last year rolls around again, start the season in underwhelming fashion and then it rears its head again. And I think in football and I think in a lot of sport, people just, if you haven't got the prize after a certain amount of time, mm-hmm. change is as good as a holiday kind of thing. And um From my perspective, I think I've had the conversation on Twitter before. Is Hinkley a good coach? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's a good coach. Is he a great coach? I don't think he's proven that um, because great coaches win premierships. And um, if you are in tune with professional football as much as you can be as as a general punter, you do understand that it's very, very hard 
um, and everyone in the football industry industry would attest to that. It, it is very, very hard. Have we been close? Yes. Is that a mark of a good coach? Yes. And again, the wider prof- professional football landscape would agree that that is a tick in the good column. Um, in terms of make or break, yeah, it probably is. It's his last year of the contract. If we don't do great things this season, I would assume that it's shake hands and thank you for what you've done. Yeah, you've provided a culture that is attractive for players to come to and to flourish in early. I think he's got the best out of a lot of B-grade players uh, along the journey. Uh, and from all reports, he's a great people person um, and a great father figure for players. But whatever it be, whether it's just sheer bad luck or that je ne sais quoi of coaching a professional football team, it just hasn't got there. So I, I do think that if we don't, and it's interesting to think, I, I, I don't know whether I can say what my marker is. I'm kind of sitting on the fence between, is it grand final appearance or is it premiership? Because I think that the major detractors, and there are a lot in the social media landscape, um, who, in my opinion, don't know how to keep a balanced view, uh, they kind of change themselves between he hasn't won us a premiership and he hasn't got us to a grand final. So with that being said, what is it? Like, mm-hmm. what what do you guys want? Um, I'm not sure what I want. Obviously, we all want to win a premiership. Um, so whether it's a grand final or a premiership, it's a high, it's a, it's a high bar. <laughs> mm-hmm. Either way, I, I don't know if even a preliminary final will will be good enough, but it's an interesting time. If we don't do well and, and he gets an extension, yeah, it, it's it'll be an interesting time. Um, I don't think that'll happen, though. I, I do think that at the end of the season, unless we're, yeah, at the very, very pointy end, mm-hmm. uh, we'll probably have a new coach next year. Um, but I'm the type of person who likes to cross bridges when we get to them. I'm just hoping that in reference to last season or opposed to the last season, we start the year off well and we build momentum from there. And I hope that the players we expect to improve, improve the players we expect to come back who didn't have good seasons last year, come back and play well. And we win some games of football. Um, first things first, really. Mm-hmm. No, 100% understand. It, it's one of those and I, I always, when it comes to people that are like, we, we should win the grand final, I go, you are aware there's 18 teams in the, and only one gets to win every year. I mean, it's, it's sometimes it's an expectation I find fascinating. I'm like, you're setting an expectation. You're actually setting yourself up to fail more times than to actually yeah. win. And that's so sport, so right? it, is, it is one of those where it's like, for me, like, like if I put myself in, in a port hat, I think another preliminary final is where you'd hope. You would hope a grand final as well, but again, there's so many different things. I mean, as you saw last year, so many injuries, so many things just didn't go your way. So we'll have to see again. So it's kind of a perfect transition for, for me here is, is what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on next year? I mean, we kind of said Hinkley's kind of on that proverbial hot seat. 
you get some guys back. Like I said, Jason Horney and Francis is in. Unfortunately, yes, Robbie Gray retires. So do you see Port with a bounce back? Do you think they're in the finals discussion next year? Or are you kind of one of those, let's see, because again, last year you could be snake bitten at any time. Yeah, I definitely expect to make finals. Um, I think any team that goes into a season not expecting or not, yeah, like not have that as a minimum, you're probably working against yourself. So, and the quality of the team, uh, uh, you know, I mentioned how before, how there's always those teams that finish ninth to 11th by, and it's generally because they lose a lot of the close games. And then you find that, they kind of have that bounce back and they find a way to win those close games. So I expect to play finals. I expect us to um, be on the more positive side of the ledger in the win column. Um, I think we're a fairly well-rounded team Uh, as most port supporters. I think we, our tool defender stocks are probably going to be tested as they always are Uh, a good in saying that, I think we finished top five in defense last season, even in a bad year. Um, we're a very team defense um, focused side. Um, I still would have liked uh, to yeah, get a tall defender. Not that there were many on the market. Um, it would have been interesting if Radigalia came over from Geelong. But he was only a, a project kind of in the defense at the end of the season for Geelong. And that's kind of how it all came about. So that's not, that wouldn't have even guaranteed us, um, you know, a, a definite tool defender who could take on the big, the big forwards, like a lot of port supporters said. So uh, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm confident that we'll have a good season. Um, we need a, make Adelaide Oval a fortress again is another kind of footy platitude that a lot of people go with. Um, but overall, I think we're, we're fairly balanced. You mentioned Robbie Gray retired in all honesty. I don't think he really contributed a lot in his last season or two. Maybe he, he still could do some magic things and, and it was more about what he could do for the rest of the team. So in that regard, I think we've been brewing, players underneath for a few years to kind of take over uh, in that regard. So I, 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 as much of it, it's a huge loss kind of sentimentally. I don't think it's as much of a major loss objectively uh, on the field. So Willie Rioli also came over from all reports. He's looking really great and he's a premiership player. He, he played with Scott Lysa even yeah, for West coast. So um his family is here and, and the interesting thing about Australia and football uh, is, uh, you know, family is a big deal. And and when you're comfortable where you are, it tends to reflect on the field. So um, yeah, yeah. I'm confident about this season. Uh, I do expect us to play finals where we can go all depends on what happens in the, in the season, but at a very minimum, I expect, Connor Rosie to I, I kind of expect him to challenge for the Brownlow this year, um, and uh, Ollie to bounce back from his kind of Brownlow lull, which generally happens with Brownlow winners. Uh, um, so I think we'll be very dynamic. 
It'll be it'll be fun to watch part for sure. I I think next year is going to be a it's going to be a slog because I think there's 14 teams that can compete for finals. I I think I, I've said this in a couple of episodes. I think the bottom yeah. four are going to make or break finals this year because I, if you lose a game to a bottom four side, that is going to really throw a spanner in the works unless you're playing really well against the top 10 to 12 teams. So it'll be fascinating. Yeah. All right, I, I go ahead. I think with um uh the whole equalization uh, policy that the AFL has introduced, and it's probably been around for nearly 10 years. You mentioned that there's about 14 teams who could probably go there. And I think like I think that's I think that's apparent nearly almost every year now. And we're mentioning how hard it is to win a premiership with this equalization policy in place. Like I go into nearly almost every season nowadays going, yep, you need to play well because there are, there's only eight spots and there Mm -hmm. is generally always 12 to 14 teams who could make the eight. So um, yeah, uh, it it just emphasizes that consistency of uh, players that you have playing each and every week. Yeah, it'll be fascinating. All right. Uh, my next question is is fun for me because I know, especially over here, a lot of people on on online like to say that if they were if they were the general manager or the list manager, they would make this move, this move, this move. So I'm gonna have a little fun with this. For one day, I'm gonna install you as the list manager for the Port Adelaide Footy Club. All 17 of the other teams are completely open. You can bring in one player from the competition to bolster Port Adelaide, to get them ready to potentially run for a flag this year. Who's that one player and why? Um, It's definitely an interesting question. And um, I, I mentioned that most support supporters would like a tool defender. Um, if you asked me a couple of years ago, I probably would have said Harris Andrews, but I don't think he played that well last year. And whether that was because he was under an injury cloud or whatnot, I'm not sure. But um Someone like him uh, would be good, um, but uh, it, it's hard to say. You know, it, spoiled for choice. I guess he could come up. Um, everyone goes the the you know the dynamic midfielders who who kind of tend to generally be up there in the Brownlow count each year. But uh, I think we're pretty well well versed in that mm-hmm. regard. Um, uh, I'm not too sure. Um, I, I think maybe a bit of blind faith in our own list management <laughs> might play a part. Because yeah. <laughs> um, then, you know, Charlie Dixon's not getting any younger, and but I, I look at a guy like Todd Marshall and, and he's there. So um, I'm probably making this a bit too difficult. Um, um, but we'll go with we'll go with Harris Andrews. Just because he's a tool defender, he's a proven Australian, and mm-hmm. um, that's probably our biggest area for improvement, I guess you could say. Yeah, it'd, it'd be interesting. One of the Decon- the Deconing brother down in Geelong would be a nice one to yeah. grow with. He he'd be one yeah. Barras yeah. from the West Coast Eagles because of his interceptability. I think you bring him in and you have that two headed monster of him and Alira Lear could be dangerous in the backfield. It, it is it is spoils of riches and, and it's fun because you get the people that are like they just try to grab the best player, the Bontempelli's, the the Clary yeah. Olivers, the Christian Petrakas, and then you get the ones that are like. 
well, our weakness is, and then they, and then they say it and then they grab and It's fascinating because it does kind of catch the the mind of a fan. Do they grab the, the flashy midfielder or do they grab the, grab the person in the weak spot? Like, like for me, like as a Sydney Swan supporter, for me, I think it's the same thing. We were looking for a big body defender and Barras there for a while. There were, there were trade talks that Barras might be something that the Swans would try to do. I I I'd be rude. I'd I'd take a Lear Lear back because I think I think the Swans <laughs> miss him a little bit. But again, yeah, as definitely. I've said to many a Port fan, I I I'm happy for a Lear that he's found some place that he's absolutely flourished in. I'm excited for him and happy yeah. that he's there. Love to he have him back. He looks great in a Port Port Guernsey as well. I'm not going to disagree <laughs> with you on that one. He looks he looks very snazzy in that black and teal for sure. Absolutely. So all right, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a couple of fun ones here for for me because. I was, I was fascinated in 2020 and 2021, the grand final saw itself outside of Victorian soil for the first time in the GABA and out in Perth at Optus Stadium. And I was very fascinated that the Victorian media started bringing up the topic of should the MCC potentially, I know the 50-year contract con, comment section, calm down. I know this is pie in the sky, okay? Could there ever be the possibility that the grand final could eventually become a traveling grand final, seeing Queensland, South Australia, back out to WA, even up to Sydney for a grand final? Your thoughts as an essay person on that, or is there a little part of you that does kind of like the tradition of the MCG because it is the biggest stadium currently in Australia? Yeah, I think the whole biggest stadium in Australia is a lot of crap really like that that's the only reason that you should have a a grand final somewhere um uh, i've done a tour of the mcg and as fantastic as it is and uh, i i acknowledge that um i guess you could say it's the home of football uh it football in its early days was developed in in victoria um so i i i respect that and whatnot you're also yeah um you're also satisfying what is it 20,000 MCC members and I don't give a crap about the MCC <laughs> members so if you take out 20,000 then it's an only an 80,000 kind of setup that you're looking for but in that regard yeah Perth 60,000 Gabba what uh, uh, 50,000 maybe I by, I by the time it gets its new renovations I think it'll be <clears> right around 50 i as i said in one i said technically if you wanted to do it in sydney you could do a, a core stadium the old olympic stadium which i think is 80 which 80, is the next yeah. biggest but it's not exactly the greatest footy like no shape yeah, the way it is it, it looks kind of funky it is more for the rug it is really built more yeah. for rugby union than it is for footy so yeah. i understand many of the sydney people that i talk to they hate playing there because it's just it's not ideal i think it's kind of dangerous too i remember when they used to play there and because they'd used to have to unbolt Mm -hmm. the seating for rugby games they would have to move it out but then there was Mm -hmm. kind of like bolt holes and and all sorts of different things in there and underdeveloped grass and things like that that kind of made it a little bit dangerous to play there um with what i said in mind though my alternative is with the home of football being the home of football and everyone acknowledging that mm-hmm. I, I don't see anyway. And 50 year agreement crap. You can make an amendment to that. That's 
you know, that doesn't have to sit how it sits. Mm-hmm. With what I said in mind, I wouldn't be opposed to the MCG having the grand final every second year and then every other year mm-hmm. being on a rotating basis because every capital city, especially Adelaide and Perth, we've been football states for nearly just as long as Victoria. Victoria has the benefit of being the home of football because it's where it was developed as a uniquely Australian game, um, as said in that MCG tour from the tour guide. Um, yeah, the SANFL is the longest standing football league in Australia. And, um, you know, what was it? The first game was played in the 1850s in, in Melbourne. But, you know, my club, Port Adelaide, has been around since 1870, which is a 15 to 20 year gap, which isn't that long in the grand scheme of things. So, you know, we've got far-reaching football history here in SA and, and in Perth, but even Brisbane and, and New South Wales being large capital cities with big enough stadiums. Uh, yeah, I, I I just think it's ridiculous to keep it in one place every year. Um, like I said, every second year, I'm happy with that. Um, but we, we saw what it brought to those particular cities in those particular years to have the grand final and I just don't think that people should miss out on that enjoyment um, based on some stupid backdoor 50-year agreement that no one really got a say in. Again, I, I don't think I, – I I don't want to comment because I don't know how, how it went into it. And I've even heard some people say almost like the Olympics every four years, so then the MCC can't complain as much again. Yeah. How how you want to do how you want to placate that I don't know I'm not going to worry about it but it is a it's a fascinating topic because it was Victorian media that brought it up and I found that absolutely fascinating so now we'll go from the Victorian question to the SA question because this year your beloved state gets to host the Magic Round ripoff that is <laughs> Gather Round Gather Round again yeah. I will I will keep my opinion on the name to myself because whether it was really worth naming it i don't know but i'm fascinated as an as an sa person your thoughts on having this unique event and, and do you plan on going to more games besides the port adelaide game um so number one um yeah definitely going to the port adelaide game um whether i go to more games i probably have to again cross that bridge when i get to it having a, uh, you know, a young daughter at home kind of makes getting out of the house sometimes a bit difficult. Um, but it, the attraction is definitely there. And and I have a close friend who's a Melbourne supporter. So um, I'm not sure where they're playing over that weekend, but I'm sure he would want to go to a game. And um, yeah, like just the, just, the, I, I know how, how well it will probably go. So yeah, I, I would definitely like to go to more than just the port game. Um, our, Premier of the state did a magnificent job. He basically, yeah, throttled the AFL to kind of sign sign the agreement. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, got a uh, he's awesome and yeah, did a good job in securing it for us. So I think it's going to be great. Yeah, the name, whatever, it may change along the way, but um, uh, I know how much crap they would have got if they called it a magic round as well. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is what it is. Uh, but looking forward to it, nonetheless, it should be very interesting. And uh, I think I think what it will do is um, bring a lot of people to Adelaide that haven't been here before. And uh, Adelaide has definitely 
uh, for people interstate or, or East Coast, I guess you could say, they like to hang shit on us over here. But uh, people who come here um, and experience it for what it is, yeah, uh, it's beautiful. And uh, we got more than enough to offer. So I think a lot of people will experience that firsthand, which is also great too. Yeah. And the cool part about it is, is like I said, I listened to the essay rush hour in the last, uh, I had actually heard an update on one of the latest episodes that almost all of the hotels in Adelaide are booked up for that weekend. Like there are no yeah. hotels. So it, it sounds like not only interstate, but even Adelaide people are super excited for this. And like mm. I said, I hope it sells out because my one worry with the premier's kind of threat almost to the AFL, <laughs> that if you send it to new South Wales and it bombs, we're not going to want it that are people going to go because I, I know SA is footy mad and, and I absolutely love it. But my one worry was, are you going to want to go see two Victorian teams play each other? You're going to want to see a Queensland team and a Victorian team play. So, but everything I'm hearing, the tickets are selling like hotcakes. As they said, the hotels are all sold out. So I think SA is going to show up. Well, I think it's going to be fantastic. I cannot wait for it. It's going to be very interesting. I hope the Adelaide Oval holds up to all the games on it. And I really cross my fingers that it doesn't rain because it's going to be terrible <laughs> on that Adelaide yeah, Oval that's surface late if it, is, if it is not idealistic and perfect weather. Yeah, yeah. I think, that, what did they, it's round five, I think. So it's in April. Yep. So I think we're just on the the back end of autumn. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed. It's not a wet weekend, but, uh, we should, yeah, touch wood should be okay. <laughs> um, I don't think, I'm not sure if every game will sell out. Um, but some have smaller, unique. some have smaller things. I know that I think there's yeah. one, there's one, there's only like 30, there's only like 3000 tickets that'll probably it's, but that's, I think the Fremantle North Melbourne game. So it'll be interesting to see how, how that one is attended. So yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. righty. So we'll jump to this. Most people that watch this channel know that I am a massive advocate for women's footy. I think women's footy is a growth spot for the AFL. I think it is the one thing the AFL really needs at this time for growth. Yeah. So I ask, do you keep an eye on the AFLW? And if so, do you keep an eye on your Port Adelaide Power who came in this last year? And I will give you a tip of my hat, sir. The Alberton folks showed up for the women's game this year. And I truly and genuinely appreciate seeing all that teal and black, being able to watch the women play footy this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? And it's a kind of coming home story in a way for Port Adelaide being able to put Albert and Oval on the national stage, because that's our, it's our, that's our soul. It's our home. Um, and uh, obviously moving away from the SANFL meant that we had to play it at a bigger ground. So uh, moving away from the SANFL, should I say, I don't know if I said that properly, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Uh, women's having an avenue for women's football is fantastic. I've always been for it. You always um, enjoy it for what it is because uh, it will take time to develop uh, like any good thing does. Uh, but I, I went there for the first Albert and Opal uh, home game as well. And it was great. It was packed out. Um, the redeveloped uh, precinct that's down there, the bars and stuff, they're all full. Um, it was a great atmosphere. In terms of the side, I kept an eye on how they were going throughout the season. But in all honesty, I didn't expect much going into it anyway. It's hard to 
uh, synergize a group of people um, and especially football. It's so dynamic. There's so much going on within a game. Um, you could tell that they had a focus of contested football and tackling, which is great. You know, people are always going to admire that. Um, but I think where they let themselves down predominantly was um, connection between each line in the field, uh, defence to midfield, midfield to forward, um, which develops over time again. Uh, they only had about eight to ten weeks together to develop uh, a game plan and, and train together. So um, I think it was just more about the fact that we were, fi- were finally represented um, as Port supporters, we finally have a team to to get behind and um, and the football will improve as the years go on. Yeah, 100%. Did you ever, did you pick a favorite player on the on the team? Because you, you got some really good ones for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Abby Dowrick was definitely a, an early favorite of mine. Um, uh, yeah, she plays football in the right way. And, and I guess... When with women's football, women's AFL, uh, you've got players who've all come from various different sporting backgrounds um, who either were always a football fan and wanted to play football but couldn't, so went off into other sports, like Aaron Phillips, I guess you could say, or um, and or you've got players who were tall and they've been playing basketball and they've been scouted because they could fit a, a role within an AFLW side. And then you have Abby Derrick and, and young players like that who we will get a lot more of now who have kind of been playing in women's football pathways um, from junior um, level, at junior level, um, and have been drafted from that kind of avenue. So she came in and she has that kind of natural footballing ability, toughness as well, and has a good kick um, uh, as, uh, to go on top of it. So, yeah. She was definitely an early favorite of mine and and definitely she didn't let herself down through it as the season went on um, uh, for sure. Yeah. And then another, Hannah Ewings is another one. Abby, Abby yeah. Dorwick and Hannah Ewings. Those two could be your next Anne Hatchard, Ebony Marinoff type of pairing because those two yeah. are both super, super footballers. I cannot yeah. wait to watch them. Develop. Hannah Ewings as well. Again, yeah, she has the benefit <laughs> of coming through junior mm-hmm. Uh, women's football programs so we'll see a lot more of those types of players just come in and and be able to impact at a young age i think um, as never had to stop they never had to stop playing footy they could play it from when they were little girls and could play it all the way through they didn't have to stop so i'm i'm 100 with you this thing is only going to get better it is a difference it is a different sport so it is it is an acquired taste but when you get it it is fascinating to watch these women because I've said, I think sometimes the women go harder at the footy than the men do. And it's no disrespect to the it's men. It's really interesting. Yeah. But it, but it does. I've, I've seen some of these women, they are crashing packs. Just as, just as crazy. It's so much fun to watch. I, I think the rule, I think the rules a little bit hamper the women. I, I would love to see, and, and I've thrown this topic up and some of the women supporters agree with me. I think the men and the women should switch games. I think the men should play 16 aside with the lasso rule. And I think the women <laughs> should play 18. Well, because if you look at it, the men have so many more years of experience and coaching and different things like that. I think the lasso rule would be perfect because then you get rid of the um, intentional, the, the intentional rule, because now it's pretty simple between outside the arcs in between the fifties, if it goes out and you kick it, it's a turnover. There, yeah. That's no, actually a rule no that we have at all. In the, 
in the SANFL, which is, it, it makes it a whole lot easier for the umpire to officiate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just seems like a no brainer. I think uh, there's a conspiracy uh, if you want to delve into conspiracies <laughs> that because the SANFL thought of it, the AFL doesn't want to implement it. But we all know, <laughs> we all know that it would make the umpire's job a whole lot easier in officiating a game of AFL if Especially you just did that. last last kick or handball out of bounds in between the arcs, like you said, and it's a turnover, then yep. you wouldn't have to, oh, did he intend to do it? Did he try and keep uh-huh. it in? It doesn't matter. Yep. Um, Insufficient uh, intent is the most ridiculous. It's the most ridiculous thing. But I, I think, so. I think the men should go to 16 and I think I, and I think the women should go to 18 because I think if you, if you, if you make that discussion, the women kick, can't kick as long. Why do they have to have less players? Why can't it be the other players, way around? Yeah. In, in my personal opinion, it should be the other way around again. I'm a huge advocate for the women's game, so I see it a little bit differently than some, but I think it'd be fascinating to see the men and women switch games. Like, I think it'd be fascinating. So, all right. I say this in all of my episodes because I love I loved this part of my, I, I'm doing some research because I've told many, I've not been to Australia. It is on my bucket list. I want to get to as many of the big stadiums, Queensland, uh, uh, South Australia, Western Australia, Sydney, and Melbourne. I want to try to get to them all. I know it's going to cost a fortune, but I want to do it. <laughs> so I'm doing some research to get a couple of things ready for when I do go. So as an American, we love our food when it comes to the sport. So I asked this of my Australian friends, what is your go-to food when you go to the footy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I've heard you mention that a lot of people would say like a bucket of chips and whatnot, and it's easy. It's quick and easy. Yeah. Um, Everyone loves fried potato. Um, I tend to like a, a hot dog. Um, mm. And they used to be a bit better, in my opinion. They used to be run by a small foods company uh, called Barossa Fine Foods, who used to do And they probably still buy the hot dogs from them, um, but they just sell them in the Adelaide Oval uh, cafeteria, kiosks, we call them. Mm. Um but yeah, I think I generally go the hot dog. Again, it's nice and easy. Cheese and bacon, um, put it on there every single time. Um, I, I'm a bit different to a lot of Australians. A lot of Australians like to put tomato sauce and cover it on a hot dog. I'm more of a mustard fan because um, I appreciate um, the cohesion. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, definitely uh, that's probably my go-to. Um, a bit of an, uh, a weird one is salt and pepper squid. Uh, fried calamari mm-hmm. um, occasionally if I feel like a bit of seafood um, but it's a really odd thing to eat at a, a sports uh, event <laughs> um, but hey they sell it there so sometimes I buy it. it the one thing I notice when it comes to when it comes to food is it's always finger food because it's always got to be quick because as soon as you add a utensil it, it complicates so many yeah things for and sure. what happens when you jump out of your seat you know <laughs> Well, and, so, and and we've seen so many of the bloopers on any, and if you watch any sports center in any of the world, you always see the blooper of the guy that's just come back from the stand and he's got his nachos or his hot dog or his pizza and a fly ball or a puck comes at him and he goes to fly <laughs> it and that goes and hits the three people three elsewhere. rows behind them. <laughs> so it happens. All right. And then my other question when it comes to this, I want to find the ideal place to sit. I want to get... The, the full and best place to sit. So where is your ideal place to sit when you go to the footy? Um, so when you look at, when you watch games at Adelaide Oval on TV, where I am currently uh, is the third tier uh, of the Eastern stand right at the front, which is actually a great vantage point. 
um, from an analyst's kind of point of view because you have a great view of the whole the whole field. Um, uh, so you can kind of see play developing kind of everywhere um, if you kind of look at the whole ground itself. Um, however, um, you'll notice there's a bay of red colored seats um, just below that. I believe it's the second tier, um, a bit more pricier, but it offers a similar um, uh, like vantage, not a similar vantage point, but it, it ticks the box for vantage point, but it also ticks the box of being kind of close to the action. Um, it's that great midway point between those two preferences that people tend to have. Mm -hmm. um, so that would actually be the best, um, the best place to sit. Again, most people like to sit somewhere in the center so they have equal kind of uh, share of, of both sides of the ground. So yeah, I, I think if you sat center wing in that second bay with the red seats at Adelaide Oval, that would probably be the best vantage point, um, best Man. place to sit in my opinion. Um, from a watching football perspective, if you want to be in the thick of it at Adelaide Oval, it's unique. I, I know that the, the previous guest from uh, Adelaide Crows episode mentioned the hill. It, it, it just offers that unique element and it's kind of sitting with gen pop, um, mm -hmm. just your, your, your average football fan who's come along to the football, wants to enjoy a few beers and, and can tend to get a bit rowdy. Um, it's, good for comedic value as well. And just your, your knockabout football lover um, when it's busy and when there's a lot of people there, it's actually quite fun and quite funny to be around that, that environment. So two different, it depends what you're kind of looking for. Um, but if you have a seat in, in the one that I mentioned with uh, the second tier, you can always pop down to the hill and then go back to your seat. So um yeah, uh, good for two different things, but those are probably that's probably what I would say. Awesome, awesome. And then I always I always end my episodes with this just because I love hearing all the different answers. I've even tried to look some of these games up and see some of the highlights from most memorable game of footy you have ever seen live at the ground on the telly. Doesn't matter. Favorite game of footy you've ever seen uh, of any team. Any team, you're, this is completely your choice. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, as much as uh, I hate it when Port aren't playing finals, so when Port aren't playing finals, it's it's generally hard to watch. Um, but the the last good grand final I think we had was the 2018 grand final between mm -hmm. Collingwood and West Coast. Um, close finals are always good um, and especially close grand finals because it is it's, it's the prize on the line um, so that game was good obviously Collingwood got out to a, a, a handy early lead and West Coast pegged it back along the way um, Collingwood shot again I think in the last quarter um, and, uh, and then West Coast pegged it back and then they ended up taking over so I, I guess that's probably my most memorable game in recent memory. Um, yeah. Just off a quick, quick think. Um, yeah. Always enjoy a close final and a close grand final. Yeah. That was a good one. I, as, as an American, I, I will admit it. Most of the people over here in the USAFL, we all kind of started donning the Collingwood black and white because of Mason Cox. 
We all kind of yeah. wanted to see him find a way to win the title. He fell just a little bit short, but the run that he had, including that game against the Richmond, let's just safe to say there was a lot of people in the USAFL. We were pr- screaming from the top of our lungs to try to find a way to get him on Sports Center over here. It, it didn't work, unfortunately, but we, 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 you could definitely tell there was a lot of positivity out of the USAFL to see him have such a successful game against. I mean, at the time, the Richmond Tigers were one of the best teams in the entire competition. There was no argument. Yeah, they let themselves down by not yep. going all the way. There. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So before we get done with this, I almost forgot to mention this, that as a Port supporter, you have a podcast about the power, the power from Port podcast. Just really quickly, <laughs> can you talk to me just a little bit about this podcast and where, where, how can we get a hold of it for any of the port fans that maybe don't know about your podcast? Uh, well, it's on a, it's definitely on a hiatus. That's for sure. Um, I started it uh, while my partner was pregnant, and I was probably a bit naive to think that it can, could continue mm-hmm. uh, once my daughter was born. But uh, it, it definitely made it very hard. Uh, I guess you're going to have to go back on all good podcast avenues to spotify's and things like that apple podcasts um to see some fairly um raw or, or listen to some fairly raw um audio uh in regards to my my thoughts of port adelaide in the 20 2021 season i think it was yeah yeah um look it, 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 it like i said it's on hiatus at the moment i, I basically started to do it because I, I always have a lot of thoughts about not only port but football in general I, I like to keep my finger on the pulse uh, of the whole football landscape but obviously I have a love for Port Adelaide so more than happy to talk Port Adelaide and and just kind of I digested or consumed a lot of port podcasts that are out there and just thought I could contribute my own thoughts and feelings uh, uh in in the landscape so i thought i'd give it a go it was kind of encouraged off of the back of travis Boak's 300th game and i mentioned earlier that t- 2007 big year for for me in terms of following football and it was the first his first season and i've kind of lived my football life with him uh, i guess you could say and then mm-hmm. some others who have recently retired um but i just wanted to just throw it out there, see what happens and and kind of went from there. And then, yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, breaking down a game in review and then previewing a game ahead um, all the way up until the finals that season. Um, but yeah, like I said, it, it's on a bit of a back burner and, um, you know, with hopes to get it back up and running again. But um, yeah, uh, life gets in the way sometimes. So just trying to sort out some logistics in that way, but more than happy to jump on other people's podcasts and, and provide my thoughts and feelings on, on football and, and, and port if, if need be. Awesome. Well, I, I genuinely appreciate it. I genuinely appreciate it, Jamie. It's been fantastic. Again, you, you have such passion for your club and I absolutely love it. And 
being somebody that as a podcaster, I'm trying to connect with other podcasts. I think it's one of those great things that we're, we're, we're a unique bunch. We love to talk and many of us have very unique uh, takes on things. So sometimes it's fascinating yeah. to connect and find a way to kind of find out. And for me being an AFL kind of neutral when it comes to my podcasts, though, sometimes I do don the the red, the, the, the red swans hat for sure. I, I will. <laughs> gladly say that but many times i try to keep on the black neutral the, the black neutral hat for most because i i like being as even as i possibly can so i love finding podcasts like yours that, that, that just you give your raw honest opinion i absolutely love that so i genuinely appreciate you having on the podcast today now likewise i appreciate you asking me on and it's been a pleasure to chat football um in anticipation for the season ahead yeah, I always love it. Making sure the off season we can get to it because these sometimes these couple of months, especially up here in Iowa when it's wintry and snowy and cold, it, it's fun to sit down and have a chat with somebody that's uh, enjoying their summer down in Australia. So, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, that is going to do it for our podcast today. Thank you for listening in again. I've got more podcasts. Sandful, VFL, and Waffle game teams are still to come. I'm finishing up my AFL ones. I'm still missing a gold coast fan so if you know a gold coast supporter that would be interested in chatting please have them reach out to me on my socials i can't wait to do that and that is going to do it for our episode and we will be back again very very soon